left into, right? Um, there's like this really big thing that's happening at The Rock. Really incredible to see God grab a hold of leadership and grab a hold of Miles. You guys know, you've watched over the last year, if you've been with us for the last year, Miles has just continued to lay himself up on the altar, literally at the foot of the cross saying, God, whatever you would have for us, I'm willing to give it to you. And if you know Miles, I I get the pleasure of knowing him personally through the pastoral staff here, but one of his babies has always been these evening services. He just, that's what the church started with. And over the last year, I think the Lord has been really pressing him to release some of those things that he holds so dearly in exchange for something greater that God's going to give. So starting in February, February 8th actually, they're going to take the 5 o'clock service and the 7 o'clock service and they're going to combine them to a 6 o'clock service. And for some of you guys, that's like an answer to prayer. Uh, For others of you, you're like, no, what are you talking about? Um, But the hope is that we're going to create a bigger buffer for the Lord to work. That's really the the anticipation there's going to be a bigger buffer for the Lord to do something really amazing that we don't even know what that's going to look like, but it'll create more space on the front end and much more space on the back end to worship and just anticipate his arrival. So I want you to be excited about that. If you are all about the 8 o'clock service and you don't give two rips about what's, if you're asleep by 6 o'clock, amen to you. Okay, so um, that's that. Uh, let me pray for you guys this morning. Let me pray for me uh, and the bowling ball-sized butterfly that's in my stomach. Um, As we just released this morning to Jesus, thank you so much, Lord, for what you're doing. Thank you that you reign on high. Thank you that you have gone before us, that you have paid our penalties in full, Lord. And all we're doing this morning is just celebrating that fact. I pray that you would make us right. I pray that you would allow us to see ourselves for who we are in light of who you are. Thank you for the beauty and baptism to declare openly that we are all yours. It's in your name I pray, Lord. Amen. So I'm going to start this by asking you a question. Have you ever found yourself in a place you knew you had no business being in? This is a question I'm asking you this morning. Have you ever found yourself in a place when the measurement of yourself in totality came up way short for where you found yourself? Have you ever been there? I'll give you an example. Uh, my, my wedding day, standing at the altar... Uh, Ricky Page, the pastor of East County Campus, he married my wife and I, Fallon and I, and I remember turning and looking at Fallon and going, man, I, not in a good way, I don't belong here. Not in like the bad way, right? Like, get me out of here. I was just like, oh my goodness, you are way out of my league, and I'm about to hook you for life, right? You got me. Um, it was a day I remember being just blown away by the scenario I'd found myself in, measuring way short, uh, Anytime I'm, anytime I get to do anything on the stage, I feel like I'm way out of my league, right? And watching Miles Sunday in and Sunday out just get low and deliver Jesus in a way that literally is his gifting, watching people come down. I mean, Hillsong has played on this stage. George and Mickey Stoney have preached here and Nick V has preached here. I mean, we've seen incredible things happen here. So anytime I get asked or even like total transparency, it was the last Sunday, I asked, I, I called Miles and I was like, Miles, God's doing a really big thing, I think in the church, but also just where I've been allowed to, to see ministry happen out in the microsite world. And I think there's something really big happening here. And so I get that sense when I'm here in front of you. I had a total clarity moment of that sense 
a few years back, I had turned 30, and I had like this crazy quarter-life crisis. Um, I, had, I had determined, quarter-life, third life, I don't know, whatever. So I had determined that I was, uh, I was getting old. I was like, no, I have more gray hair than my dad did when he was my age. So um, I had applied to be on a TV show. Uh, like, you ever see the movie, the TV show Wipeout? You ever see that TV show? Um, that show breaks people's bodies, uh, and then they dangle money in front of you to, like, hope that you break your body. So I had applied to be on this TV show, and lo and behold, I'm, I find myself getting accepted, and I'm, I'm showing up to the studio, and it's like 5 o'clock in the morning, and it's a filming, and I didn't realize when I had walked into the room that I was one of 18 competitors, and all 17 other competitors besides myself were all college athletes, Right? And you may be mistaken by looking at my physique, but I am no college athlete. Um, you might get the sense that I work out, but I don't. And uh, the arrangement of this game was that you ran a race with uh, other people and you just needed to make your way through and to the finish line before another person. It was total elimination all the way to the end of the race. And I remember sitting on the starting line. And on the show, you were allowed to bring a coach. And I remember walking into the show, and I, I looked at the room, and I'm like, that's a college football player. That's a collegiate swimmer. That's a professional dancer. Not like a like professional dancer, but like that's like a <laughs> professional dancer, right? So like uh, hockey players and baseball players and... And then me and the guy that I had brought with me who was supposed to be my coach, which is actually just a friend of mine, he's like, you're in a lot of trouble. So I'm like... Uh, I'm watching all these guys, they're like shaking their like scientific protein powder to like drink pre-race to explode the like goodness in them as soon as the starting line goes off, right? And my friend like reaches in his pocket and he's got like a like Nature Valley bar from the night before. And I just was so, oh, I just like, man, what am I doing here? And I remember laying down and just being like, man, they're stretching, their partners are stretching, stretch me out right now, please just do something. Um. And right as the finish line or the starting line was about to like crack and it's like cameras and lights and ready to go, my friend is right here on the sidelines like uh, he's just looking at me as if I was the podium and he goes, Mingo, you got nothing to lose at this point. <laughs> and I was like, thanks for the encouragement, buddy. So <laughs> I've only ever found myself in a nothing to lose moment maybe once in my life. And it may have been the most distinct in that moment. And there's, a, there's this phenomenal piece of scripture that we find somebody with a nothing to lose moment. And this whole year has been one of those for me. The last time I was on stage was in February and I was preaching about going deep with Jesus. And I was sick as a dog and if you have your Bibles, I want you to open up to Luke chapter 7. If you have a phone, turn it to Luke chapter 7. I'm hoping deeply that you get a real sense of God's reality here. He is very real and he wants a very real engagement with you, a relationship with you. And you're going to see in the next several verses a total comparison. I'm going to set this up for you. There's a full-fledged comparison between somebody who goes in with nothing to lose and somebody who feels like they've got a lot at stake. 
with where they're at in their life. And it starts off in chapter 7, verse 36. It says, one of the Pharisees asked him, that's Jesus, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and he took place at the table. The context here is really awesome because where you and I would have somebody over for dinner, you would probably call them and say, hey, I got plans tonight, but they just canceled. Why don't you come on over? Glad to have you. And that person would come into your house and you would close the door and nobody would probably see outside of the people that were in your home what was happening during your dinner. But for this culture in this era, a dinner like this with a Pharisee who's likened to a communal spiritual leader, that's what a Pharisee is, I would, the only way I could really like size it up for you, he wouldn't be like a pastor, he would be like a volunteer, trained, scripturally savvy leader, almost like a community group leader. Imagine that being the context. That's like really what a Pharisee would be, maybe a little bit more elevated. And he invites Jesus to his house, and when you have dinner with anybody of substantial credibility, it's kind of a political statement. I'm having somebody to my home. It's going to be a big deal. And in this culture, what would happen is there would be open doors and windows so that other people could see and more importantly hear what was happening during the dinner. Does this make sense? So you have the invited few that get to come along and actually engage in a meal together, but then it's like a spectacle open so that other people can see, oh my goodness, Tom is having dinner with Jesus, right? It's like that. And the other people on the outskirts of it, it would be socially acceptable. Those who maybe were close to eventually being able to be at dinner would probably have the first row. And then everybody else sequentially behind them whose life was a little bit more jacked up than the person in front of them got their place. So you've got a, a spectacle happening over the course of a dinner. And this is just the first verse. And it says, and behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind his feet, Jesus' feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. I love it. I'm reading from the ESV in the NASB when it talks about her wiping. The NASB says that she kept wiping. She kept wiping as if it wasn't like just some singular action, but this swelling overload had just forced her to just keep going. So let me set like the stage for you. You've got Simon, somebody who is very in tune with what it means to have Jesus over to his house, is essentially, for anybody who's like on social media, taking a selfie with Jesus, right? He's like, here I am, everybody. Jesus, Get in the picture, all right? I want my friends to see what's going on. Hashtag, I'm awesome. Hashtag, you wish you were here, right? It's totally like that. And if you think it's not like that, you're going to see why it's all about Simon, not even really about Jesus coming to Simon's house. Simon is making this all about himself in this moment. And then you've got a woman, Bible calls her a sinner. She's known, this is what's so gnarly about this lady, she in scripture is documented as a sinner. How rough. Even if her job was a, to be a prostitute, you'd think that when she like got her hands on the letters and she was like, they didn't even say I was pretty. 
right? A sinner. Somebody who had no business being in the house breaks in and has a total one-on-one engagement that is way outside of the context of what is acceptable. She literally photobombs Simon's selfie. She decimates it. And here's what's crazy. I'll, if you don't know what, if, I'm sorry, if you don't know what a selfie is, think about this, okay? Self-e, right? Self-photo about me. A selfie is an interesting thing. It's, it's almost, it's manufactured moments, right? You get to a place sometimes only because you want to take a picture of yourself in that place so other people see that you're in that place, Don't lose the spiritual depth of that statement. You go to a place or you land yourself with some people and you make it a point to take a picture of yourself in that place, in that moment, not for your own happiness, 99% of the time, so that other people can see that you're in that place with those people. This is Simon's selfie. And it's being ruined by the minute by a photobombing sinner, and you're like, what's the photobomber? <laughs> Somebody who wrecks your selfie. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> this woman dives in, and she is stealing the moment that Simon has so like eagerly anticipated everybody seeing him in. And it's interesting his response, because remember, he's, he's religious authority for the community that he's in. The Bible says that she wiped the hair of her head, his, she wiped his feet with the hair of her head, and she kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. And now when the Pharisee who had invited him in saw this, he said to himself, if this man was a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner." Isn't it interesting that if we were to put up a category, you've got somebody who is very religious and somebody who is relationally depraved, the woman wanting so deeply to be in relational context with Jesus and somebody who is so religiously qualified, the first act that he responds with is disgust when his system is turned upside down. Ask yourself this question. When something happens in your world that isn't, isn't to, to script, if something isn't going right the way you want it, or even more importantly, if somebody who is way farther removed from what they deserve in life all of a sudden comes up on something, what is your stance? Do you say quietly to yourself, I cannot believe that person is getting what they're getting? I honestly cannot believe that after I've been doing so much, this is the return on this investment, that that person would get whatever they're getting. Yeah, I think that in a room full of people who want to be close to Jesus, sometimes we can find ourselves sitting square deep in Simon's shoes, right? And isn't it interesting when, when somebody comes with relational qualitative, I want this, I need Jesus, and I'm messy, and I'm broken, and I'm ugly crying, and I'm laying it out there, that all of the false religious people in the space, 
they get ousted. And it just boils out, right? It says like, ew. I don't know who this person is. I don't know why they're here, but this is not conducive to me and what's happening between me and Jesus. Are you following me here? Is it making sense? It's like, it's going to get real deep real quick. So if you're like, uh, it's going to get super good right now. <laughs> if this man were a prophet, he would have known what sort of woman this is who is touching him for she's a sinner. And Jesus turned to him and he said, Simon, I have something to say to you. I think Jesus actually is so blown away by the contrast in front of his very eyes. I think that he's literally... I wish I would have been in the room. I wish somebody would have said it the way Jesus said it. Simon. See, Jesus was always so stern with people who had a religious stature about them. A religiosity in them. But he wasn't exempt from connecting with them. I think Jesus wanted to reconcile even the religious fakers in his time. But he looks to Simon. And even though Simon doesn't say anything out of his mouth... Jesus is about to have a come to Jesus moment with Simon despite the fact that Simon doesn't want to come to Jesus. He says, verse 41, a certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. One owed 500 denarii and the other one 50. When they could not pay, verse 42, if you have a Bible, underline that. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more, Simon? This is awesome because Jesus is way more gangster than you and I ever would be on the fly. Think about the scenario. Simon is an educated community group. He's big. His name is on the website. Ooh, there's a leader. I should go to his house, right? Simon knows this. He knows all about who Jesus is. He knows about what it means to be right with God. And Jesus gives him an elementary level parable. Hey, Simon, so there's a debt. Two people have no way of paying it. One, 50 days wages. The other, 500 days wages. Which one do you think is better off, happier, because their debt is forgiven? Can you imagine Simon? Oh, geez, I'm in a, Jesus, I'm in a lot of trouble, right? He, he sets Simon up for such an obvious, obvious situation. Simon answers back, maybe the one, I suppose, who is forgiven more And Jesus answered, you are correct. You have judged rightly. And then turning towards the woman, he says to Simon, Simon, do you even see this woman? Such such a heartbreaking moment. Simon, in all of the facade that you have built for yourself, in the ability that you have found yourself to Fake your way through having a relationship with me and showing me what it looks like to, to be all about everything that it, it is to be presumedly close to me. To go through the motions of making your way through traffic and finding your way in your seat every single Sunday to, to saying hi to the person consistently to make sure that they see you and they know you're there. To maybe to checking in your time at Toys for Joy or maybe one of the Thanksgiving outreaches. 
when you check yourself in, do you, when the opportunity comes to see somebody really come to know Jesus, do you even see her? Or are you so concerned with the portrait of what you're painting for yourself so other can, people can see how close you say you are to me? Does that make sense to you? So nuts. He says, do you even see this woman, Simon? See, I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but when she wet my feet, it was with her tears, and she wiped them with her hair. See, culturally, at a dinner, they would be sitting down, and it would be kind of like a laying moment where the table would be here, and everyone's feet would be out that way, and they would remove their shoes, and so everyone's feet would be exposed. And if it was dusty or wet, they would have a lot of that mud and fecal matter, feces on the, on the roads because it was animal-ridden also. So they treaded through all of that. And so water through, typically a servant was given to at least honor the guests as they came into the home. And Simon, Jesus says, when I came in, you didn't even offer me a basin so I could do it for myself. And yet there's a woman here who's come in and she's so overwhelmed with my presence and the fact that she's proximity to my feet, she has exploded. And there's so much happening in her soul that her eyes aren't just like dribbling down like some quiet, like controlled tears. There's so much coming out of her that it is like literally drenching her feet to the point where it can be cleaned. Comparison here. See, the whole comparison, you're going to get three of them. The whole comparison is religiousness or relationship. You didn't even offer me the, the basic respect of saying, here's some water to wash your feet. And yet a woman comes in and she's so broken by the fact that she goes face to face with Jesus that she can't control what's coming out of her. And with that, she just takes it and starts washing his feet. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased kissing my feet. A kiss in this culture is awesome. It is, I wrote it down, a kiss is a, a fondness, a familiar and usual expression of a hearty and affectionate welcome of a friend. That's the cultural wellness when somebody comes to your house. And Jesus says, listen, Simon, when I showed up to your house, when I took the time to come out of my way to arrive in your world, you had already set yourself up to, had told everybody, oh, he's here. Jesus is in my place. Check me out. I've got him. He's awesome. He's not with you. I'm sorry. That when he shows up in my house, you don't even offer me a kiss. You're not even in a place where you are expressing a hearty and affectionate welcome of a friend. And yet this woman, the minute she bursts in here, she has not stopped kissing my feet. Reminded where his feet has been. Ask yourself this question. Do you have a hearty and affectionate, welcoming spirit towards Christ? Some of us walk every day with Christ thinking, man, what are you going to do to me next? What's going to happen, Jesus? I just don't know. I can't even figure this out. Or some of you wake up, you don't even realize, you don't even acknowledge Christ in your space. You are fully in Simon's shoes. Off to my thing, I love reading people's bios. I love reading like the things that they have or who they say they are. They say, 
I'm a full-time worker at blah, blah, blah. I love Starbucks. I'm all about the Chargers. And plus, I love Jesus too. As if they were writing and they were all about the things they had. And then at the end, they were like, oh, yeah, I also, I, Jesus is a part of my life too, whatever. That's Simon in this place. He's setting himself up for everybody to see who he is and what he's about and who he's got in his home. Oh, but when Jesus actually gets there, he doesn't even have the, the sanctity to say, I'm so thankful you're here. I can't even believe that you would have made time to arrive in my space. See, if you're sitting in this place or if you're streaming at a microsite, Jesus willingly makes his way to your space. Your reaction to his arrival shows where your spirit is. It really shows whether or not you are like really just kind of wrapping yourself up in a religious blanket that has no real substance or if because of your relational, genuine depth of understanding who the Savior is, you just, everything stops and it all goes to his feet because you can't even look him in the eye because of how good he is. And the last one, he says, you didn't anoint my head with oil, but she laid, she's anointed my feet with perfume. Oil versus perfume. See, the oil that you would have given somebody to, to just wipe down with, it would have been about, about their face. It would have been anything that would have been exposed to the elements because in the Middle East, you've got rough, rough climate, right? It's dry and it wears on you and your sin takes a toll for it. So as a customary, just standard welcome greeting, you would at least offer them a little bit of olive oil so that they could just refresh, right? Put some on your face and your chapped lips and across your feet and across your arms just to, to be replenished. That's the status quo for Simon, and it says that in comparison, this woman, she breaks out an alabaster jar of perfume. Something so, so precious. And I wonder, the Bible doesn't tell us, but you can, you can do all this research about what in the world she was doing with an alabaster jar. Especially if the assumption is that she was either a prostitute or she was, she was somebody who slept around a ton. If that was how she made her living Chances are that alabaster jar filled with that perfume was either one given to her by somebody that she did business with as a here you go, smell better the next time I hire you, right? Or it was something that she would have given herself as a cover-up to cover the stench of the men that she had been with before. Just to lay on top of where she had been in her own life, trying to cover where she had found herself. And this is what's so crazy about that last offering. The value in that alabaster jar. Alabaster is a transparent stone and it's only used for the most highest valued perfumes. And she comes and she just busts it out on Jesus' feet. And it makes me wonder if she sat on the rim watching Jesus and Simon. The Bible says that she came in boldly, but probably so fearful of what everyone was going to say, knowing that she already had a reputation. And the thing that made her who she was or so in her mind 
what identified her. The only thing in a physical format that said, this is what I'm about. This is who people have said I am. This is what my life has become. She just dumps it out at Jesus' feet. The thing probably the enemy wanted so badly was for her to hold on to that and say, he wouldn't have me. What in your life do you have that the enemy tells you, Jesus isn't going to have you? What in your life do you stare at? Do you have in your pocket right now? Do you have at your home hidden somewhere that your boyfriend or girlfriend or spouse won't find? What are you holding on to that you think Jesus wouldn't be happy to have laid out on his feet. I love the boldness of this woman. Is She found herself in a place she had no business being in, and she went in like she had nothing to lose. And listen to the, the reaction. When all of that was done, Jesus... While he's looking at Simon, he says, you gave me no kiss from the time I came in. She has not ceased kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with oil, with perfume. Therefore, I tell you, Simon, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. See, Jesus doesn't let her off the hook say like, oh, you know what? She had a rough life, right? You don't know her struggle. You don't know where she's been. Walk a day in her shoes. He acknowledges the totality of what she's been through. Her sins, Simon, which we all know in this room, every single one of you judges, Pharisees, all the people watching from the windows, all the people watching behind her, all of her friends who can't see what's happening, listen up. We all know that she has sin, and it's amounted to a lot. But you know what? She loved much. It's obvious, it's on display right here, right now. He says, her sins which are many are forgiven. And then referencing back to the parable, he says, you know what's so sad is that he who loves little is forgiven little. It's a scary statement that you have to sit in. Because Simon is saying to himself, yeah, well, look at her. Obviously, she's got a lot. And I think that Jesus in his parable is doing this for us. He's saying, imagine your life with a bill, like your cell phone bill that comes every single month, right? And you see every single text message. You see every single call. You see every single dial. In, out, you see the totality of whether you were down in San Ysidro and accidentally jumped on Telcel and then it charged you $9 a minute, right? You get all of that in a bill every month. Now imagine if that ledger was your sin. And it got delivered to you every single month. Hey man, this is, wow, what about that charge right there? Whoa, that's gonna cost, that's gonna be a big cost. What about these ones? What about those ones? What's your cell phone bill of sin look like? And that's not even the sins that you know about. What about the times that God was trying to use you saying, hey, listen, I want you to go talk to that person. Listen, I want you to make a phone call to that person. Hey, you see that person on the side of the road? Stop right now. And because you're too busy on your cell phone or whatever, you're too dialed in, or you've got to get from one place to another, you don't even think about it. What about those sins? What if those are printed out every single day? See, Jesus says, listen, there is a bill that you cannot pay. 
the debtor, what I had you lay down, there is a bill that cannot be paid and the debtor graciously forgives your debt. And for those that are forgiven a, a ton because they know where they're at, you know what happens when they get in the proximity of Jesus? They, they go ugly cry all day. They break down. They are a mess. They are weepy. They know what's at stake in that moment. Does that make sense? But for somebody who's like, you know, I have my cell phone bill's not that big. My sin tab is not that deep. I mean, I am on PST. Good for those other people who get to see the freedom in Jesus. Good for them. I can take care of my tab, God. Jesus says, man, you missed it so hard. You can't pay your way out of brokenness. You can't pay your way out of the debt that has separated you from me. Answer this question. When was the last time you just, you thought deeply about the sin that you know you have in your life and you physically put it right there at the feet of Jesus? When was the last time, if ever, you actually thought about that? Use your imagination to just put that at the feet of Jesus. And tell me that didn't just wreck you, knowing that the Savior took that willingly. Not just took it at his feet, said thank you for being honest, but that he carried it, he picked it up, he got slung onto a cross, and he said, for this reason, I'm going. That's the Savior. That's his graciousness over your life. Whether you think you've got a small debt or a huge one, it's debt, and it was paid because Jesus decided with grace that he was going to take it. The beauty of the whole thing is that it gets wrapped up. Yeah, if you clap, awesome, whatever. The beauty at the end of this is a room full of people who are so confused. Because Jesus, he forgives this girl's debt and the room explodes in murmur. And you know what they're going? Who is this guy who even says that he can forgive sin? And Jesus, in like one fail swoop, he goes, you know what? I am both Jesus, and because I'm Jesus, I'm God. So I don't just get to say your sins are forgiven. I get to tell you to go live in peace. And I love he takes this woman and he goes, go in peace. Like, get out of this hostile situation where a bunch of religious people won't let up on you. Go in peace. Some of you guys need to come to terms with the fact that you sit in the shoes of Simon. Does that make sense? You're wrapped up in a religious routine that will bring you nowhere to Jesus. Actually, so much in fact that Jesus, when he sees you and he gets his eyes on you, he has words for you. I pray that we all, every single one of us, see ourselves in the hands of this woman. Do you know what's inside of you and you just dump it out at the feet of Jesus? And in the moment right now, I'm just going to ask you... This is the last Sunday of the year. This is it. Nobody resolves for your life. You talk about New Year's resolutions. Nobody resolves better for your life than Christ. You can't even determine a good enough request for yourself. And some of you guys need to give your life to him wholly, legitimately, willingly, emotionally. You need to stop separating your cell phone debts and say, well, I can probably cover some of those by just coming to church a few times and maybe that'll do well. And I want to pray for you if that's you. So why don't you bow your heads and let me pray. Jesus, my prayer is that we would each see our sin 
we would each know that sin is something that separates us from you. Lord, but the glory is that when you died, you took every single sin that was ever done, committed, actively happening, or future tense would happen, and you took it to the grave, and in your resurrection you said, your sins are covered by my death and my new life. Lord, Romans 8.1 says that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Lord, in this room there are people who have been living a religious sham of a relationship with you. Lord, would you weigh heavy on their hearts right now? God, there are some of us who have been sitting on the sidelines knowing the freedom that you offer and we've yet to run in boldly and just break down and throw out what it is that is holding us from you, Lord. And I pray for those people in this moment. If you find yourself in either one of those scenarios, I want to pray for you in a really specific way. Jesus, for the people that are sitting wondering if they have an actual relationship with you, I pray that they would confess, that they would repent, that they would say, God, I'm so sorry. I don't understand why I don't know you the way that I, I pretend to know you. Lord, thank you for your grace in accepting me. God, I pray that they would lay those facades down at your feet. Lord, for the second half of the room, people who know the mess that they have found themselves in, Lord, I pray that they would boldly go in, that they would hand their lives over to you, that they would spill out whatever it is that marks them for brokenness, and in that spilling out, Lord, that it would be a true breaking of chains, and that in the brokenness, your beauty would come out. Lord, forgive us both. All four of us, Lord, Simon and the woman and me and the person listening to this message, God, would you just pour out grace. If you prayed that prayer, I want to invite you down here to get prayed for. After the service, we're going to have a bunch of people up here that want to know your prayer. If you prayed that prayer and you need just to share a little bit with where you're at, I want you to come boldly to the front. Right now, right where you're at. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, would you just come down to the front right now? Just right where you're at. Thanks, bro. What's your name? Justin. Justin. Nice to meet you, man. Could you just stay right here, dude? Yeah, thanks, dude. For, um, it's a hard spot to be in to just 
walk down. And I know I'm listening and I'm looking at you guys and I'm going, man, God's doing deep work in you right now. But Justin, Jackson, Jackson just, Jackson made a big choice and just said, let's do this, God. <laughs> um, I'm going to uh, invite the pastors to come out here. And Jackson, would you do me a favor and just hang out for a little while and then I'll pray for you? Maybe catch that seat right there in that reserved spot right there. You're reserved. Reserved for you, bro. You're the man. Um, 